Good morning, and thank you for tuning in and listening to this week's Message of Hope on KBUR News Radio, 99.3 FM and 14.90 AM from First Christian Church of Burlington, Iowa. We invite the young kids of the church to come on down forward and meet our youth pastor, Justin, today at the front steps. All right, good morning, kids. How are you doing this morning? All right, great. Hey, I got a picture I want to show you guys. Can you look up at the screen? You guys know what that is? That's a boat. It's a speedboat. Yeah, a big boat that goes fast. And have any of you guys ever been on a boat? Has anybody been on a boat? You've drove a boat? Uh-oh. Yeah, I think almost everybody's pretty much been on a boat at least once, or you're going to eventually, right? But with the weather, the nice weather coming, it's almost boating season. And we're going to see boats like that all over the place, especially here in Burlington, down by the river. And, and people are going to have them out on lakes and streams and ponds. There'll be people out on boats everywhere. So what kind of things do people like to do on boats? What kind of activities do they do? Fishing. fishing. They like to go fishing with boats. What else do people do with boats? Blaine? Yeah, maybe just to go out and cruise around, right? What else? Yeah? Well, what about skiing? Has anybody ever gone skiing? Anybody gone skiing or tubing? Anybody got pulled by a tube on a boat? Well, people like to do that kind of things too. And uh, there's all kinds of activities people like to do when they're out on the boats. But what's the one thing that we should always wear when we're on a boat? A life vest, right? We should always make sure we, we have a life vest on. And with, with the boating season coming up, I heard on the Weather Channel also, it is also thunderstorm season as well. So that just means there's, there's a chance of a lot of thunderstorms. So if you're going boating, you should always check the weather too, right? Make sure there's no thunderstorms coming. But even if you prepare and, and make sure there's no thunderstorms, thunderstorms can pop up just like that, and we can be unprepared for a thunderstorm when we're out on the water. And there's probably no worse place to be in a thunderstorm than out on the water, right? You wouldn't want to be on a boat in a lake with a thunderstorm, would you? But in our Bible story this morning, that's exactly where we find Jesus and his disciples. They're out on this boat, and a huge storm comes up. And the boat is getting tossed and turned everywhere. The disciples are sliding all along the deck of the boat, trying to, trying to keep the boat afloat. And the waves are crashing up over the top of the boat. And, and they're scared. But Jesus wasn't scared. Do you know why Jesus wasn't scared? Do you know what Jesus was doing this whole time? He wasn't praying. He had his eyes closed. What would he be doing if his eyes were closed? Sleeping. Jesus was sleeping the whole time during this storm. How many of you would be asleep when you're in a little boat in a big storm? Anybody would be asleep? None of you would probably be asleep. You'd be like the disciples scared, but Jesus was sleeping. So the disciples go to Jesus, and they wake him up, and they say, Jesus, don't you even care that we're all going to end up drowning here in this lake? And Jesus gets up, and he speaks to the storm. He says, Silence. Be still. And you know what? The wind stopped and the storm stopped and the wave and the water got really smooth. And the disciples were all super amazed. And they were like, who is this man who can calm the winds 
and the waves. Well, you and me, we know who Jesus is, don't we? We know that Jesus is God's son. And the Jesus in the Bible's times is the same Jesus today because Jesus today can still calm the storms that are in our lives. Now, there are going to be times where we have storms in our lives. Maybe, maybe we get sick or maybe we have problems at home or, or maybe we have a friend or, or a, a, a relative that might get in an accident or, or maybe even die. But those storms, Jesus promises us to always be with us throughout the storms. He promises that he will, will, will calm our hearts and, and will relieve any doubt or fear we may have. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus is going to solve all our problems all the time, but he promises to make sure he's right there with us in the middle of the storms in our lives and will help take care of us and watch over us. Okay? Will you guys pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those times when you calm the storms that come up in our daily lives. We also thank you for those times when you give us peace even through, even though we are in the middle of a storm. We ask you watch over us and keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's kids shout it out. Amen. Oh, loving and gracious God, we call ourselves your disciples as people of your way. We do our very best each and every day to follow you, to serve you, and do your will and put your love into practice. We want to know your presence. It is our desire to feel your spirit. We want to experience your grace moving through our lives. We call ourselves your disciples because that is who we are and that is what we want to be. We name ourselves this, O oh God, even though we are not perfect. At times we slip up. At times we fall short of the goal of living the life you call us to live. Even at times, like Peter, we deny knowing you and being in your fold. Though this is the case, O oh God, you offer us forgiveness, a clean slate. You give us a fresh start and you welcome us home. And for this love and acceptance, we give you thanks. We want to be in your number and called one of your own. In the midst of worship today, O oh God, we pray that we might have strength to live our lives of faith. As we have been on this Lenten journey in these past few days and weeks and following Jesus in his time leading up to his trials, we pray that you might give us all that we need to withstand every temptation and trial that comes before us. We know that your way isn't always the easy road and sometimes we slip up. There are days when we find it easy to gossip and judge others. There are days when it is easy to get angry when, only, when all we see in is the others is the wrong inside of them. Help us, O oh God, to look for the good. Help us to look for you. Strengthen our lives of faith and fill us with your love. Give us all that we need to live lives worthy of your calling. As we reaffirm our faith and desire to live for you, we offer those to you in our thoughts and prayers this morning. We remember those in our congregation that we've been lifting up and holding close in prayer in these past few days. We pray for those who need to be reminded that you are always there, that you are our constant companion. We pray for those recovering from surgeries 
and those with still a long way to go to find wholeness and peace in their lives. We offer our prayers to you, O God, because we know that you hear us and you answer us. We give them to you in the name of Jesus the Christ. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel according to Luke in the 15th chapter, verses 1 to 3, and then the second half of verse 11 to verse 32. We invite the Spirit of God to be upon us as we hear God's word read in the midst of worship this morning. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to be one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father, but while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and he put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the, but the father said to one of his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the very best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. But he became angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working for you like a slave and I have never disobeyed your command Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. We're continuing here today with our Lenten sermon series called God on the Move. We are in week four of this series with just a couple more weeks to go. And in these past few weeks, we have been following Jesus on the road toward Jerusalem, following God on the move throughout his life, through the life of Jesus and all the disciples, everybody that he has been teaching and preaching and leading. And so we know that we as a church are called to use this season of Lent for a purpose. In Lent, some people have given up something that they love so they can feel the sting of what Jesus felt in his temptations and trial. Some people have given up sweets and social media and soda and coffee. Some people have given up riding in limousines during this time of Lent to kind of feel the sting of what Jesus went through. Other people have taken something on in the season of Lent to find deeper devotion and more meaning in their spiritual life in these 40 days and 40 nights. However we have used this time, it is set aside for us to pray and reflect and refocus and, and realign our lives back in the love of God. And so last week we heard Jesus speaking in parables preaching about what it means to work on our own spiritual life and not be so concerned with how others are living and, and, and using their lives. He told us to water and fertilize our own spiritual life, finding the dead spots inside of us instead of wishing and hoping that we lived in the green grass and all the other fields around us on the other side of the fence, in somebody else's yard. And so that was last week, this call to tend to our lives. And so this week, Jesus teaches us with another parable. Now as I begin today, I want to begin my sermon with a confession. Hi, my name is Dave. I have a confession to make. When I was in college, I did something that I'm not the most proud of. In fact, I would do it as much as five times a week in the middle of the day, at the same exact time, every single day, in between classes, when I could have been doing something else. It was not my proudest moment, but I've been working on it, and so I'm okay to talk about it now, after all these years. But when I was in college, like 20-something years ago, every day at noon, I confess, I used to watch a soap opera, Days of Our Lives, every single week. I'm not proud of it. I don't want to talk about it. Don't tell anybody else about it. But it's who I am. It, you know, it's kind of part of my history. And so this is the story. Every weekday, Monday to Friday, a group of us would all eat in the dining hall at my small little college, and we would sit in like the, sit in like the same section of tables in like the same area at the same time. And then when we were done at exactly... Ten minutes before noon, we would grab our ice cream cones or our sodas or whatever, and they would walk to my friend's dorm room on the second floor of Johnson Hall at Culver Stockton College, and we would like all get the chairs and like sit on the, on the floor, and we would watch on her tiny little television, Days of Our Lives. We would watch it up until like two minutes till one, when we had to scurry out of the dorm, down the hall, to my one o'clock class. 
I don't tell a lot of people this, but it's what we did five days a week. And since I watched days of our lives so often, I can still tell you who, to, to this day, who people are. I could tell you all about Bo and Luke and Hope and John. I could tell you who was kidnapped and who was still in a coma 25 years ago, even now. I can tell you who has woken up and who's back in a coma. I can tell you who has amnesia because everybody has amnesia on days of our lives and who does not get along and who is falling in love with whom and, and, and whose husband and a wife and all these things. And, and I even confess that I would watch it in secret at home on Thanksgiving and Christmas break. Without my parents knowing a single thing about it, it was twisted, it was a crazy mess, but I watched this show so I could tell my friends about it at school. And I haven't seen it in like 25 years, but I'm pretty sure I could watch it tomorrow and it would still be the same story with everyone still in the same place. But I know about days of our lives with all their family issues and the people coming and going and the brothers and sisters not getting along. And I know all about that because we hear a whole lot about that today in the prodigal son story. In fact, if days of our lives could tell the prodigal son story, it would take more than one one-hour episode or like one week or even one season. It would still be going on on days of our lives today because this is a long and winding and complicated story. But we heard it. Jesus says there's this father. He has two sons. And the younger of the sons decides that, that he wants his inheritance early. He asks his father for the money that he was to receive after his father will die. And so he basically tells his dad, you are dead to me, and so give me my money now. And crazy enough, the father gives it to him and says, have a great time. And so in the story, we hear how the son takes the money and he blows it. In fact, the Bible says that he spent it on dissolute living. And you can imagine if like soap operas had that one little phrase in it, and all the things that he spent it on, cars and hotels, and he was like an ATM machine doling out money left and right until he was broke. Broke as can be. And when he had nothing left, Jesus says he hired himself out to a pig farmer and he lived in like a hog confinement shed some kind of random farmer in like a foreign country until he decided that he was going to go home. And the crazy thing is that, that when he goes home, the father sees him in the distance coming down the path and the father leaves, the, leaves that front porch and he runs and he throws his arms around his son and he throws him the biggest party he's ever seen in his entire life. But we know that the older brother wants no part of this party. Like in the soap operas, he has to be coaxed to come out of his room, to come in from where he is to join the party. He wonders why this has taken place in the first place. I mean, no one has thrown him a big party. No one has him given him amazing clothes. He's been here working the whole entire time. But this is this amazing story of being welcomed 
in this warmth and grace of being welcomed home. And so whenever we stand on this side of the story and we see all of it playing out, it sounds like days of our lives with the family feuds and the disagreements and like the wild living and all the lavish parties. And so when we hear the story, we cannot help but pick a side. Because there are two sides, the two brothers. One who's been away and who gets to come home, and the other one who has been there the whole time who is grumpy and mad. And so if we have to pick a side in this story, it is obvious that we would choose the younger brother who has been away and who gets to come home. Because we know what it is like to come home. I mean, everybody has their definition of what home feels like. For some of us, we get that feeling whenever you cross the bridge and you come back to Iowa because this is where you have grown up, this is where you went to school. Here people not only know who you are, but your parents and your grandparents. And you can go to Aspen Grove Cemetery and you can trace your lineage there on those gravestones. You've been here such a long time that whenever someone else talks about where the old Happy Joes used to be or like the old Hardys or like where the old high school used to be, you know about that because you've walked those hallways. You have been to those places because it's home. Sometimes home is a smell of your grandmother's perfume or walking in and it's your mom's cooking. It's being welcomed home despite all the mistakes you've made, all the people you have wronged in the past. You are loved for who you are no matter how long you've been away. And so you can picture that scene in your mind of, of the father running, sprinting off the porch with arms wide open to wrap them around the sun to say, I'm so glad that you are here. You were lost, but now you're found. You were dead, but now you are alive again. If we have to pick a side in the story, that is the side that I would want to be on because we love that feeling. But you see, the thing is, whether we'd like to admit it or not, there are times when we play the role of the older brother. The older brother is the one who has stayed home. He is the one who has been faithful and done everything that has been asked of him. He has worked hard. He has been responsible and done what is right. While the younger brother was gallivanting around town at like 3 a.m., the older brother was in bed with the alarm set for 5.30 because there was food to make, there were kids to get to school, there were responsibilities to have and a family to support. The older brother, Jesus even says, were like those religious peoples who came to worship week after week, singing the songs, giving their offerings, teaching the classes. The older brother I think, gets a bad rap because they were the faithful people who didn't make a fuss or show or say, look how amazing I am. They were steady and they were hardworking. They came to church week after week in places like Iowa 
where it snows like every single Sunday of the whole church year, they were in church anyway because the doors were open and they wanted to be there. And so they showed up. That was the older brother in the story. But when you line them up, we want to be the younger brother having a great time and being welcomed in. But if we're responsible in life, very often we're the older one. And so we know how he feels. We know what he is going through because it's not fair for the father to throw this huge party. No one has thrown a party for him. No one has given him anything in life. He has been working hard to put food on the table and pay the mortgage every month. No one has done anything amazing for him. It's not fair, he says. And we say we agree. It's like days of our lives, and you know these brothers are about to come to blows if the scene keeps on going. But here's the thing. This story that Jesus tells us isn't about what is fair. The story is about grace. And it's about God's love. And we realize that we don't get to control how and when and for whom the grace of God is extended to. We may have our opinions. We may have feelings about what we think is right, about who we think should be welcomed in and who God should be throwing a huge party for. But God's grace is extended to everyone. Jesus lived and died and rose again for everyone. For religious people and for outsiders for sinners and saints, for people who did not get along and for people who did. It's like a dramatic soap opera, but it's the gospel where the welcome is extended to everyone. But don't you know? Didn't you hear how the story comes to an end? I mean, when the party is humming and everybody's dancing and the younger brother is having the time of his life. It's like this awesome high school reunion here at his house with his very best friends. Did you notice, did you see where the father is? He is not on the dance floor with the family and the friends. He's gone to meet the older brother. And he's coaxing him to come to the party. Because even he is welcomed and invited and even he is loved. And that's grace. For the likable and the, and, and the unlikable, for the loving and the grumpy and those who think it's fair and those who think it's not, for the people who are here and the people not yet, the grace of God and the Father's love is for everyone, for all of us with our faults and sins and our joys and sorrows and our mistakes and perfect days where we get the Christian life right. The grace of God extends to all of us. Let's pray. Oh, loving God, we know that you are a good, good father. You are a loving mother who calls us your very own. You speak to us as we are, O oh God, with all that we have, 
all that we say and all that we do. We give you thanks, O God, that your grace comes to us, yet still even here today. We pray, O God, that your spirit may be kindled again inside of our hearts. Set that grace upon us so that we can follow you more closely, that we can live more faithfully, not just in this hour, here in this safe place of worship, but tomorrow at work, in every conversation, every email, and every visit. Help us, O God, to seek your grace, to offer kindness and hope and love in all that we do. For it's in the name of Christ who comes and calls us by name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message of hope from First Christian Church Disciples of Christ here in Burlington, Iowa. We are located at 1221 Park Avenue on the south side of town in between the airport and Dankwart Park. If you're looking for a church home or looking to find a relationship with Jesus Christ for the first time, we hope that you will join us for worship this Sunday morning. We have two services every week. Our traditional service is at 8.45 a.m. and features old-time favorite hymns and a wonderful anthem by our chancel choir. Our contemporary service is at 10.45 and features our amazing band and music that you hear from today's Christian radio. Both services offer a hope-filled and challenging message for today, activities for youth and children of all ages, and open communion for all who believe in Christ. There is no better way than to begin your week with worship, so I hope you will join us. You can find out more information by going to our website at www.burlingtondoc.org, and you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Burlington DOC. We hope you have a great week and share the love of God with someone today.